Good morning, everyone. Have you noticed how some things just seem to be hitting different during the pandemic? Um, maybe it's a song on the radio, a gesture offered by a stranger, maybe a question from your child, or it just could be any experience that you would have barely noticed pre-COVID, but now it takes on new and profound emotional import. The last few months have meant rupture and exposure for some of the rawest, deepest, and often most well-hidden needs, anxieties, and fault lines within us. And as I've been trying to be attentive to these inner eruptions within my own life, I found so many scriptures hitting differently. Romans 12 verses 9 to 21 is a section of scripture that has recently really, really stood out to me and spoken to me in ways that I'm definitely still trying to articulate. It's given by the Apostle Paul to an early Christian community in Rome, and it's a powerful summons to love well, love fully, love courageously. And despite having read it, I don't know how many times, in the current context of the pandemic and what I've been moving through, it just hits different and on so many different levels. So today what I wanted to do is just pause my series through Revelation and share a one-off message on how these verses have been impacting me lately and how they tie together a number of threads that I've been pondering and thinking through and grappling with and how they've impressed upon me the need and the desire to grow in my experience and expression of healing, redeeming, restorative love. So I'm going to start by reading the passage and then moving through it and sharing some reflections. Romans 12 verses 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A few months into this pandemic, and I think realistically speaking, with no immediate end in sight, I'm realizing in new ways that 
loving each other well is what's going to sustain and strengthen us during this time. And I don't want that to be heard as a call to sentimentalism or just mere community. I want it to be heard as a call to live from and through the redeeming, restoring, renewing love of God. And as we see in Romans 12, this is a love that gets expressed through a tremendous amount of courage and care and vulnerability. So verse 9, I think, is the key that, unlo- the key that unlocks the rest of the passage. It's the, the center point around which everything else is built. And that is the statement that love must be sincere. This is the big idea of this passage. The word sincere means authentic or genuine or even unhypocritical, which means that there is a kind of love that is insincere, that is inauthentic. Um, Paul is coaching this early Christian community to recognize that even as Christians, you will be tempted into an unsincere, sorry, an insincere uh, expression of love. But the spirit through Paul is saying, God desires your love to be sincere, free from hypocrisy, where we are projecting a certain kind of love, but behind the mask, our hearts are cold or apathetic or ambivalent. Right? This is, this is a different way of saying love needs to be the real thing. There are counterfeit expressions of love. I want the love that you have for each other to be sincere. And speaking personally, this has really been a time where I've been challenged to love those around me in new ways, especially within my marriage and family and kind of inner circle. And sometimes in realizing that and then in pressing into that, it's forced me to confront the fact that in certain dimensions of even particular relationships, uh, I have been loving in ways that are less than sincere. Hopefully, I wouldn't go so far as to say hypocritical, but um, definitely not leaning into the fullness of what God has for me in these areas. And when I think about this kind of love and the high bar that it sets and its fullness and its richness, you know, part of what I've been grappling with is where does that love come from? And I realize the older I get, the kind of love that I need, the kind of love that I need and want to extend to other people can't be drummed up from within myself. I can't manufacture it. I have to receive it from a source of love. And I have to shift from maybe the posture that was more there in the first half of my life, which is willfulness. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to love. I'm going to do it well. I'm going to apply uh, my willpower to this problem and love people well and to realize that's a that's a well that runs dry pretty quick and i have to shift from willfulness to willingness i need to be open and willing to allow god to love me and then to allow that love to transform and overflow into my relationships with other people And when I think about sincere love, I realize I want my life and I want my faith. 
I want my leadership to be marked by sincere love. I don't want to be a player actor. I don't want to be someone who's just playing the part of the pastor, going through the motions as a Christian, um, being on autopilot and just kind of coasting. I want my life to bear the marks of someone who's learning how to be loved with a love that is genuine and sincere and to love others from that place. And what I love about the rest of this passage is it helps us to understand what sincere love looks like as it shows up in our lives. It says, we're to hate evil and cling to what is good, right? Sincere love can't emerge when we cling to what is evil because as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not delight in evil. Love flourishes when we turn our backs on what is evil and corrupt and destructive and dysfunctional and sinful, what misses the mark from God's ideal. And we cling to what is good. And that word there for cling means to unite ourselves. It's a, it's a bold statement of not of just holding something in your hand, but saying, I want to, I want to, I want to embed this within me. I want to reject and put as far away that which is evil. I want to embed within my heart and get it right into my bones. That which is good. And as I've looked and followed different movements and protests and ideas that have been swirling around, especially lately, my heart is just so heavy as I've watched this being inverted. I, I see so many people hating what is good and clinging to what is evil. But that's also forced me to consider during this time what have I been clinging to? What have I been uniting to? Has it been that which is good? Have I really been uniting myself to new and creative uh, practices uh, of Bible study and prayer, service and care for others, contemplation, medit meditation, life-giving entertainment? Or have I been kind of just... Um, I mean, holding on, but not clinging, but just sort of, they're there. But I've also kind of been holding on to patterns and practices that are, maybe not evil, but yeah, maybe sinful. Maybe they missed the mark. Sincere love hates what is evil and clings to what is good. In verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. See, sincere love is devoted to one another in love. And what that looks like is to honor other people above yourselves. It's not to dishonor yourself. It's not to have an inferiority complex. It's to say, God loves me. I'm important. Jesus died for me because um, that relationship and who I am was worth it to him. But I treat others as even more honorable. And I've been thinking as I've been moving into my personal devotions every day is that, you know, I think of my devotions as my devotedness to God, right? Like I spend time in prayer and scriptures so that I can devote uh, usually the first part of my day to God to set the, set the frame for the rest of the day. And yet I've realized this passage is saying part of my personal devotions is for me to go into my day and look for ways to honor, to value, to celebrate other people. That's part of my personal devotions. 
And if I'm um, seeking God in my uh, personal private devotions at home and then going out into the world and not looking for ways to honor and value and celebrate other people, then um, something really profound and important is missing. And I'm certainly not, ex not expressing sincere love. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Even in a pandemic, sincere love doesn't lack zeal or eagerness that can be translated as, but it keeps its spiritual fervor or enthusiasm, its excited spirit. It serves the Lord. There's an anticipatory energy. There's an excitement that says, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Today's an adventure through which I learned to experience and uh, experience God and love those around me. I, now, full disclosure, I have had many days, and probably if I was honest, and <laughs> I should be, uh, weeks where I have lacked eagerness and I have lacked enthusiasm. There have been weeks where I've been just overwhelmed by the different plates that uh, feel like they've been spinning. I've been unsure how to best schedule my time. Uh, I, I haven't been able to land on a strategy for how to hold together all the different tension points that this pandemic was creating. And the good news, though, is that all of those mounting pressures have driven me to learn how to lament in prayer and worship. And it's driven me to seek out counseling and to seek help. Because for me, I always thought and understood this verse to be, um, don't lack in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor, serve the Lord. Okay, so just do it. Again, just mind over matter. Willpower yourself into it. But the pattern that I've seen in my life is when I stuff my feelings, when I ignore my feelings, when I minimize the hard feelings, the messy feelings, the uncomfortable feelings, when I just simply lean into the future and stay in my head. And what I mean by leaning into the future is just being like, well, like not keeping my attention on the moment or even looking at the past, like what's done is done, whatever. Let's just move on to the next thing. So it's a kind of future oriented denial of current realities. As I do that, one of the first things to disappear in my life is enthusiasm. And God wants me to live with enthusiasm. He wants this excited spirit to be more normative than not, but he also wants it to be the sincere kind. And during this pandemic, that has um, driven me into a deeper understanding of how I need to cast my burdens on God so that that zeal and spiritual fervor can be unblocked from um, some of the pain and frustration and disappointment that can settle on top of it if I push it down instead of learning to lament it and bring it before God. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Those are good markers of what sincere love is. And again, this is not primarily an act of the will 
these are seeds that get planted and watered within us as we spend time communing with Jesus through scriptural study and prayer and reflection and memorization and meditation. And I just want to say, I think it's really important during these times to be in the Gospels consistently. If you're not right now reading just a chapter in a gospel and just making your way through one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I would really, really recommend that practice. Um, the gospels and Jesus's ministry, it hits very different during a troubled time. Like we're in during a time of deep uncertainty. And that's because, um, what we begin to see as we read through the gospels is that Jesus lived and ministered and taught and he bore witness to the truth in a context of times that were even more brutal and difficult and uncertain and chaotic and violent and divisive than ours. And so when you see him bringing light into deep darkness, it really does help you understand what it means to follow Jesus today. And it comforts your heart. I mean, it has to me in a way and giving me new insights that I just don't think jump out at the page, jump out from the page at you when you're reading the gospels from a position of uh, comfort and predictability and um, sort of strength across relational, economic, emotional, psychological dimensions. So if we want to grow in joy and patience and faithfulness, part of that will be steeping in the gospels, even just a chapter a day. And allowing the Gospels to speak into our life in a powerful way and sow uh, seeds of those virtues. Verse 13, Paul writes, Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Sincere love shares with others that God has put to our lives, and specifically other Christians. Uh, what I want to know, and this is what jumped out to me, this might have been the thing that convicted me the most and that I've been turning over in my mind and heart the most over the last number of, uh, of days. This verse presumes, one, that we're sharing our needs and willing to accept help from other people, and two, that we're invested in others' lives enough and listening carefully enough to hear the, those needs expressed. Now, I think I'm pretty good at that last part, and I think probably many of us are in this church. That, that's my read of things anyways. I think we are um, eager to listen and to hear for the needs around us. But I think I, like many of us, are weaker at the former, which is actually sharing our needs and being willing to accept help. And part of that for me was that I learned from an early age that self-reliance and self-sufficiency need to be my go-to approaches in order to um, move through life. And there's certainly strength, strength to, to these values, but self-reliance and self-sufficiently, self-sufficiency as one's fundamental approach to life, it actually interferes with God's best for us. It robs us from the development and cultivation of sincere love. Pastor Paul Tripp writes, why is it so hard 
for so many of us to ask for help? Why is it so difficult for us to admit that we don't know things? Why do we attempt to do things that we've never done without seeking instruction? Why is it so hard for it, for us to admit that we can't make it on our own? Why do children resist the instruction of their parent? Why do we not like to ask for directions? Why do we work so hard to present ourselves as more ready, knowledgeable, and capable than we really are? Why do we often push people away when they're offering assistance? And he continues and he writes, the answer seems too straightforward and simplistic, but it is the answer nonetheless. The answer to every one of these questions above is sin, self-reliance and sinful self-sufficiency are what lives in our heart. Hosea 10.13 captures this really powerfully. You have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. You have all this disaster coming from up from within you and around you because you've trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors, which is an ancient way of saying in um, your particular, the resources at your disposal. You look at them and say, oh, I'm fine. I can handle this. I've built a life that allows me to rely on self and to be self-sufficient. And I've realized in fresh ways over the last few days, even as I've reflected and prayed at getting away with our family camping, is that I need to lead by example by exposing the needs that I have. So let me just take a few moments, just share at least how I would love you to be praying for me. I think if I'm honest, I found the last few months to be much tougher than I'd like to admit. I want to see myself as strong and resilient, able to meet the moment, rise to the challenge. And I, I, I want to project that image for other people. And then I've often found myself weighed down by competing demands and lots of self-doubt. Um, some of the challenges particularly that I need prayer for is just the ongoing and expanding realization uh, of all the attendant issues and dynamics involved in the fact that my, my mom is dying. And we've kind of moved through as a family, the immediate adrenaline rush of trying to find a place for her and to live and to get things settled. And now as the dust is settling, the, the gravity of that and the weight of that is beginning to kind of be placed in front of me every day. I think this pandemic is a time where, as I've been attentive to my own reactions to things, I've begun to read more and think more about how, how shame-based my own identity is and how that fuels so much of what I do and how I don't want it to and how it fuels a kind of an insincere love and how it traps me in certain patterns. And I've been surprised at how quickly I want to avoid vulnerability and how, um, how often I don't rise to the moment. And part of that is the, I guess it feels to me an embarrassing admonition or uh, it's, it's embarrassing to admit that 
I, I kind of don't know what I'm doing in a lot of ways during the, I don't know how to lead during a pandemic, during this pandemic, I've been scrambling and that feels really, um, exposing to me. It feels really embarrassing because I want to lead. Well, I want to be able to say, here's the moment, here's the crisis, here's the chaos. And I pray and I set my mind to it and bam, I can just kind of move through things with confidence and power. And there's just been many days where I have struggled through even just the basics of um, how to structure my day, how to move into and through my relationship with my wife and my kids. Um, and that's meant many days where while my aspiration might have been heroic in nature, it was just survival at an emotional, psychological, or spiritual level. And my heart has been pulled in so many directions and I have found myself really tired, tired of not knowing how to lead, tired of not knowing when this is going to end, tired of not knowing the best way forward, how to best support other people, how to best support myself. And then I've watched non-Christians around me scrambling for a ballast in the midst of the storm. And then I just turn and look at myself and say, am I doing enough to point them towards Jesus? And sometimes I've been really burdened by that to say, I want so badly for people to come to know Christ during this time. Am I doing enough? Am I bearing witness in a way that is effective and fruitful? Um, because my heart is burdened for them. I know how hard it is um, to move through these this season with Jesus. I can't imagine what it's like to live outside of the promise and power of God. And man, there have been some days where the enemy has just been so strong in tempting me into doubt and fear and resignation. When I was young, I read Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I found myself returning to a truth over the last few weeks. And that is the truth that you can ultimately spend time working on your circle of influence or your circle of concern. Your circle of influence is that which you actually have influence and control over. Your circle of concern are those things that worry you that are that you are concerned about, but you actually don't have the ability to influence or control. And I just began to realize how much the um, enemy or my own anxieties and insecurities have pulled me away from focusing on my circle of influence and instead get trapped in um, my circle of concern. And as I've learned to name that and confess it and begin putting steps in place to repent of it, one of the things I realize is, is that I can control my ability to grow and my capacity to love others. And that's where my energy needs to go more and more. And as I've done that, then fear and worry weaken. And some days it even falls away, right? Perfect love casts out all fear. And I, I was sitting just reflecting by the campfire a few nights ago, just by myself quietly. And I just realized a truth that you know, and I've heard, and I've probably taught, but it just, again, hit me in a different way that relationships really are at the heart of life. And we experience life in its fullness when we're wholeheartedly connected to God 
and other people. And I want prayer to overcome the barriers in my life to that kind of love. I want sincere love to be born out in my life by God's grace. But I need prayer for that. I need help with that. And so those are some of the needs that are currently in my life that I would cover your prayers for. Verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Sincere love seeks to bless when it would be so much easier to curse. Verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Sincere love steps inside other people's story with empathy and care. And this takes time. It takes a lot of patience, right? This is a time where the uh, gap, sort of the... Um, the 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 extremes of what people are experiencing as joy because this this pandemic and sort of the the isolation and the lockdown has led to a lot of good things for a lot of people but it's also led to a lot of devastation for others and for us to be able to recognize that and to especially move into the space of people on the other side right when you're mourning to go into the space of someone who's rejoicing that's tough and to not make it about you. And if you're rejoicing to go into the space of someone who's mourning and not minimize that pain because it just, you can't connect with it emotionally because things are, have been either generally okay for you or even gotten better. That takes a lot of empathy, it takes a lot of energy, but that's what sincere love does. It teaches us to go inside other people's story and to meet them where they're at. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Right? Sincere love seeks harmony. And I know this takes work, especially in trying times. It, it demands a lot of questions and a lot of listening. A lot of the harmony that we don't experience in churches, we don't experience on social media, we don't experience in our workplaces, is because we are not asking a lot of questions and we're not taking the time to listen. We're making statements. We're quick to speak, quick to think, uh, very, very slow to listen. It's a complete inversion of what the scriptures and James call us to. And I've been really disappointed, to be honest, as I've observed on social media, and had certain conversations with people, I've been really disturbed by how many Christians are operating during this time in really proud and unharmonious and conceited ways. It's, uh, it's frustrating me, but it's also given me pause to say, where is that at work in my own life? Verse 17, do not pay, repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Right? Sincere love doesn't get caught up in these tit-for-tat, retributive, back-and-forth escalations of verbal slander or, obviously, physical violence. It's, it's instead careful to do what is right in the eyes of others, meaning in the sight of or in front of other people. Right? It models rightness in front of other people. It, it seeks to um, be a light instead of simply being a critic. 
Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sincere love is animated by the desire to be a peacemaker. Sincere love looks for ways to combat strife and division by sowing seeds of very gentle peacemaking and unity. They're right there. Um, sincere love acts as a bridge for the kingdom. And those who are acting in sincere love act as bridge builders for the kingdom. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love this this little uh, section because it acknowledges that there are evil forces at work in the world. Absolutely. But it doesn't spend much time encouraging us to figure out exactly how, what those evil forces are, exactly how they work, where they're at work. We don't know. We can only speculate. But I also want to say that too much speculation, when it's combined with a critical mass of ignorance and arrogance, will just lead us down really dark, unfruitful paths. What this passage says is not we're required to make sense of the evil that we encounter, or that it's important for us to build grand theories explaining the evil that we encounter. The point is that sincere love confronts evil, and instead of overcoming it through the strategies and devices of evil itself, it overcomes evil with a goodness that is born of faith and hope and love. It's a very practical um, expression of love. One of the ways you know that you have sincere love is that you are not in a vengeful mode where you are trying to overcome evil with evil, but that there is a compulsion to confront evil with goodness. So the whole passage really is an expansion that gives us a deeper insight into this call that love must be sincere. This is what a sincere, a genuine, and authentic love looks like. But the million-dollar question, of course, is how do you love like that? And I know in the first half of my life, although I knew this wasn't the right answer, what I operated in was I just got to try harder. I just got to try harder. I just keep putting these things in front of me and trying to do them better. And where I fail, pull myself back up and try it again. And now as I'm kind of moving into the second half of my life, I'm realizing that willfulness is just woefully inadequate to access and express that love. I need to receive it from Jesus. And that begins by recognizing that every single dimension of this sincere love is something that Jesus has done for me. And this is something that Jesus has done for you, right? He is the one who shows us what sincere love is. He is the one who in his life clung to what is good and rejected what is evil. That's what he even does in us. 
He says, I need to purge and refine this thing from you, which is evil. But I want to, I want to um, affirm this image-bearing goodness in you. Jesus is the one who is fully devoted to us in brotherly love, who honored and loved us, even at great cost to himself. That's the whole point of Philippians 2. He loves us all the way to death, even death on a cross. He never lacked in zeal, but served God and served us in the process. He's someone who, in our lives, gives us joyful hope, and is patient with us and is faithful to us even when we aren't faithful to him. He shares with us. He welcomes us. He blesses us. He doesn't curse us when it would be easy to, uh, to do so. He rejoices with us. He mourns with us. He's a high priest who can connect with the full range of emotionality and chaos that happens in our hearts and minds. He is harmonizing and reconciling us to himself. And instead of operating from a position of pride and power, he was more than willing to associate with us, even though we have low position. And he didn't repay us with evil for the evil that we committed against him and others, but he overcame that evil through his goodness and love. He seeks to live at peace with us. And instead of meeting out vengeance towards us and to repay us for what we have done, he said, I'll take that upon myself so that my enemy, though they're hungry, I will feed them. Though they're thirsty, I'm going to give them something to drink. In every way imaginable, he's overcome our evil and our sinfulness with his goodness. And allowing sincere love to take root in our life and to manifest itself through our life begins with that meditating on that, reflecting on that. And then from that recognition, spending time in practices that allow you to receive and be formed by that love and doing so in an unhurried way as a matter of priority. And then asking for his redeeming, restoring, renewing love to be made manifest in your life every day. So it's not about willpower. It's not about trying more. It's about seeing how God has provided this love to you, learning to receive it and access it, and then allowing it to um, work its way into your heart and deep into your bones so that it becomes over time a natural expression of how you engage with others. I've been exposed to a lot during this pandemic, and I'm sure there's more little apocalyptic moments and events to come for me. But I really want to be able to look back and say that this was a season where God refined me to be able to better receive and extend sincere, genuine, wholehearted love to others for his glory, for my healing, and for my neighbor's good. And so as you go, let me leave you with a benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that you, church, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
And may the love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all this week. And all of God's people said, Amen.